This is Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly update on the people and policies leading Michigan, with Michigan Democratic Party Chair Lavora Barnes. Welcome to Party on the Peninsulas. I'm Lavora Barnes, Chair of the Michigan Democratic Party. The word this week? Results. We talked last week about focus. This week, An update on the initial results of that focus after just two months of Democratic majorities in the State House and Senate, as the media are recognizing the results are record-setting for the scope and speed of legislative action. Already sent to the governor for her signature, a nearly $1 billion tax cut, which targets working families and retirees. The working families tax credit increase will save about 700,000 families some $600 per year, while 500,000 seniors will save an average of $1,000 from the pension tax. Two other bills that are moving quickly. The Senate has approved expansion of the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity and the House has voted to repeal Michigan's 1931 enacted ban on abortions. In both cases, the bills were approved with little Republican support. More results? The House Elections Committee has held its first hearing on a package of voter protection bills. First up is a bill to protect voters and poll workers from violence by banning firearms from polling places. And the Senate Judiciary Committee held its first hearing on a series of bills which will enact common-sense gun safety laws. I'm proud of our Democrats who are focused on getting meaningful results that improve the lives of Michiganders. In a moment, we'll be talking with one of our Democrats in Washington who's doing the same thing, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. But first, a summary of the week's news on politics and policies. Here's MDP's Dorian Tyus. I'm Dorian Tyus. Here are some of the stories driving policy and politics this week. The legislature has sent Governor Whitmer landmark legislation cutting taxes for working families and seniors by nearly $1 billion. Not included in the bill, the governor's proposed $180 per tax return one-time inflation rebate, which was blocked by Senate Republicans on a procedural vote. The bill will phase out taxes on public and private pensions, saving an estimated 500,000 seniors an average of $1,000 a year. The legislation expands the earned income tax credit to 30% of the federal rate, up from 6%. That means an average savings of $600 a year for low- and middle-income families. Two other major bills approved in the state Senate. One provides an additional $630 million in state incentives for Fort Motors, Battery Plant, and Marshall, which will create 2,500 direct jobs and thousands more indirect jobs. Also passed with legislation extending civil rights protections to LGBTQ plus Michiganders, passed with only three Republicans voting in favor, 15 against. For the first time in decades, gun reform proposals are receiving a hearing in the Michigan legislature. The House Judiciary Committee heard testimony on three gun safety proposals during the week. Democratic lawmakers are proposing laws requiring people to safely store guns, get rid of taxes on safety equipment, expand background checks for all gun purchases, and implement red flag laws, which allow judges to temporarily take guns from people who would be dangerous. A Tempton man has been charged with threatening to murder Jewish officials, including Attorney General Dana Nessel. According to the arrest documents, Jack Eugene Carpenter III posted on Twitter that he was threatening to carry out the punishment of death to anyone that is Jewish in the Michigan government if they don't leave or confess. 
The state has announced a new scholarship program responding to the need for workers in the electric vehicle industry. The Michigander EV Scholars Program offers up to $10,000 to 350 university students who can use the money toward tuition, but who also must commit to remaining in Michigan for 12 months with one of eight EV-related companies participating in the program. The new scholarship comes as Michigan counts about $14 billion in EV growth announced for the state over the past year. President Obama will launch a leadership program to build a national network of young leaders intent on improving local communities. The Change Collective intends to create a network of local leaders who will gain resources and share strategies to improve communities across the country. The program's inaugural class will include 25 participants in each of the three pilot cities, Detroit, Chicago, and Jackson, Mississippi. You can find links for more information on these stories on our website, partyonthepeninsulas.com. From Michigan Democratic Party headquarters in Lansing, I'm Dorian Tyus. For the last 90 years, Southeast Michigan has been represented in Congress by a Dingle. John Dingle Sr. was first elected in 1932. In 1954, he was succeeded in Congress by his son, John Dingell Jr., who served a record 59 years. He retired in 2015 and was succeeded by his wife, Debbie Dingell. All three had reputations as people who got things done, placing the needs of their districts and Michigan ahead of everything else. Our Walt Sorg recently talked with Debbie Dingell about some of the key issues she's focused on right now. There are so many things to discuss with you based on your committee work. Many of your colleagues seem to be more interested in headlines and getting things done. You seem to be just the opposite. And right now you are uh, up to your eyeballs in the aftermath of what's going on in Ohio. What's the status right now on disposing of the uh, toxic waste that has been generated by that catastrophe? Well, at the moment, and I do not believe uh, in the future that the Romulus injection well will receive any more of the toxic waste from uh, Ohio. EPA has taken over that site uh, and has assured me that there will be no more uh, going there. Uh, At the moment, they're also hoping that there'll be no more contaminated soil going to the Van Buren site. I want to be clear that these two sites are are certified hazardous waste sites that we probably need to be paying attention to a lot more, period. I hope that one of the things coming out of Ohio is a discussion of toxic waste, how it's transported, and where it's stored, and it should not be in populated uh, cities and towns, I believe. But at the moment, uh, Romulus will not get any, Van Buren's on pause, and I'm trying to lead a discussion again about Uh, both the well and toxic waste sites, period, with my other colleagues. And I want communities to pay attention. What you're talking about really is a symptom, even as horrific as it is. It's just a symptom of a much greater problem. And it's not just toxic waste, it's nuclear waste. And we've got to do something with, with all of these things. How do we eventually resolve it? For years, it seems like there's been a stalemate in Congress. So I think that there are a variety of issues that need to be discussed. Uh, And I think I would encourage people to pay attention to it because I think at the moment national attention is on it. 
And I would hope that we could actually result in some action. Uh, it was great to see Republicans at the Romulus site on Sunday and have them join in the concern about where these toxic waste is being stored. I don't believe it should be in populated areas. I don't believe it should be in areas that are close to tributaries and to water like the Detroit River. It does need to be stored someplace, but I would argue in more isolated areas. But two, we also need to focus ultimately on trying to reduce the need in the manufacturing of hazardous chemicals. We know we need them, but I'll give you an example, PFAS. PFAS is a forever chemical. 10 years ago, nobody wanted to talk about it. People had no idea that it was in Teflon pan, pans, in the clothes they wore, in food storage wrappers, their makeup. And it's taken some time, but in the last year, we've seen a number of manufacturers say they're not going to use it anymore. We've seen food and restaurants say that they won't buy or use food storage containers and wrappers that have PFAS in it. And we're working very hard. I think the most important area where it needs, we've got to find the substitute is for firefighting foam because we have to put out those fires, but we need to keep our firefighters safe. What we want to do is to eliminate the use of PFAS, period. And that's the same for a lot of other toxic chemicals. We need to invest in finding substitutes that are not as dangerous. I'd like to shift to another issue that the president's been talking about a lot lately and is really a part of the family legacy in the, the Dingle family, something your late husband worked on literally for decades, and that is healthcare security. And it appears again to be at risk as you have some Republicans, at least, talking about attacking various parts of it, whether it's the Affordable Care Act or Medicare or Medicaid. What do you see happening? Are we going to have a stalemate in Congress on that? So, in effect, uh, we win by, by uh, not getting anything done beyond what's already in place? So, first of all, my father-in-law was the first person to introduce universal health care in 1945. We got Medicare in 1965. Since then, we got Medicaid, the CHIPS Act, and the Affordable Care Act. Now, it was refreshing at the State of the Union to get agreement from Republicans that they wouldn't touch Social Security or Medicare. But we are seeing efforts to cut Medicaid, uh, threats on the Affordable Care Act. And I just, I think the American people have found that the Affordable Care Act has been successful. People are worried about whether we're going to go back to days of not being able to get coverage for pre-existing conditions, the cost of medicine. You know, what we did in the Congress last year, this week, Eli Lilly reduced the cost, reduced the cost of insulin for all of its customers by 70%. We in the Congress said, we're going to cap the cost of insulin at $35 per month for Medicare patients. And Eli Lilly followed and is now any diabetic person in the country will pay no more if they use Eli Lilly's insulin than $35 a month. These are the kinds of things we have to protect and make sure that we're continuing to improve access to health care for every American. When we stop the public health care crisis uh, on COVID in May, how are we going to make sure that Everybody still has access to the vaccine, 
to testing to the medicine if they get it. We can't go backwards. We've got to go forward. And I'm going to do everything I can with my colleagues to make sure that is the case. And the bully pulpit in, in this case especially seemed to be very effective. The, the, the president says something in the State of the Union in a very firm way. And a couple of weeks later, you get this action from Lilly, which, as I understand it, is like 30% of the total market for insulin in this country. That's correct. So that's if we can help young children through seniors reduce the cost of their medicine, that's, that's what I believe public service is supposed to be. And I, I quite frankly believe every American should have access to a quality, affordable health care, period. You mentioned uh, your father-in-law, who was the first of three Dingles to represent Southeast Michigan in Congress, going back 90 years, which is incredible in, its, in itself. And throughout those 90 years, uh, the Dingle legacy in part has been strong support for Michigan's key manufacturing industry, automobiles. With the developments lately, do you see Michigan's position improving? And, and, and if so, what is the federal government going to be doing, uh, probably at your instigation, to uh, make sure that uh, Michigan doesn't lose its place as the auto capital of the world? Well, we all have to be committed to that. Michigan put the world on wheels. We are the home of mobility in the world. But we can't take that for granted. We've got to work every single day to stay at the forefront of innovation and technology. I know that there are uh, been some difficult votes uh, in our state capitol. Uh, but we have to work together, Republicans and Democrats, to make sure that we are building the plants of the future. We are building the transportation of the future in Michigan. Uh, the most recent this week, uh, the state legislature voted to help attract the battery plant that Ford will build in Marshall. I want to say to you, that's 2,500 jobs. But more than that, we've lost out. People, I have talked to so many manufacturers, so many companies who have talked about in the past when they come to Michigan, they go to other states, we roll out the, they roll out the red carpet, they don't know if someone's Republican or Democrat. They want those jobs. Well, I want those jobs, and I think all of us want those jobs in Michigan. We're going to have more opportunity, not only as we look towards the future of manufacturing, we need to bring our supply chain back from overseas. I think the pandemic taught people what it meant that we were suddenly reliant on China for masks and gowns and gloves. 89, 80 to 90% of the generic drugs in this country are made in China. That's not only an economic security issue, a jobs issue, it's a national security issue. So we got to bring those jobs back home. I want the mobility industry, the transportation industry. I want those jobs in Michigan. I want to work with everybody. I don't want any labels about why we've got the trained workforce, why we've got the know-how, why we're a great place to do that business. And I want to bring other jobs back here too. I hate to keep jumping around on issues, but you are so deeply involved in so many of them that I have to. And relating to your work on the Communications and Technology Subcommittee, I'm very intrigued with how the committee and how the Congress is going to react to the new technologies that are breaking out now, both artificial intelligence and also the, the controversy over TikTok, which is probably of greatest concern to your youngest constituents. Where are we on those two issues in terms of Congress's role in dealing with something that's brand new? We very much have to pass privacy legislation. And actually, I think you'll find we had a 
hearing in committee yesterday that this tends to be more geographical. California doesn't like what the rest of us want to do. But we've really got to worry about access to information. Young people have no idea of the kind of information that's being collected on them and all of us, the kind of marketing that's being done, the security issues and tracking where you are, all kinds of uh, background information on you, who you're talking to, what you're looking at. That's That's got to be managed. And we have questions about TikTok. China collects this data. All of this is nationalized. How is that data being used? Again, it's an economic security threat, a national security threat, and quite frankly, it's an, it, it's an individual threat. I know it's too late. Our young people have just given away all kinds of information, and they would, the kind of pixel that's been created on them, they would be stunned about. But there is a strong need for us to address legislation on this new technology for many different reasons. Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, what are you working on right now that may not be making headlines, but really has got your attention and has become a, a passion for you? What's what's on your calendar right now? Well, I mean, this week, to be very blunt, this week has been focused on toxic waste, railroads, transportation of hazardous materials, and the Detroit VA hospital, where I need to make sure that every veteran uh, has access to quality healthcare and is not worried about it, and that we are supporting the employees that go there every single day, the doctors, the nurses, to keep those uh, veterans safe. But I'm also very concerned about long-term care in this country. I was um, at a session today and somebody said, where is everybody? Why can't we get people to fill jobs? They're home doing childcare and taking care of seniors. We've got a broken long-term care system that I'm luckier than 99 and nine-tenths of the people in this country. I know it. The system is so broken. There were days that I would just take my head and pound it against the wall. We have a system that's designed for institution to institutionalize, not to allow seniors to stay in their home care. Most seniors cannot afford it, uh, long-term care. It's cheaper if you're allowed to stay in your own home. We need more caregivers. The caregivers are becoming exhausted. They can't get respite care. So probably long-term care is one of the issues that I'm working the hardest on right now. Debbie Dingle, always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for sharing some of your time with us. Well, thank you for including me today. With that, we come to the end of this week's report. Our thanks to Debbie Dingle for taking time out of her busy schedule to report back to us, and our thanks go out to her for everything she does to make life better for all of us in Michigan. We urge you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. You can get it automatically downloaded to your phone through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Pandora, or on our website, partyonthepeninsulas.com. Thank you for making us a part of your day. Party on the Peninsula is as a production of the Michigan Democratic Party.